Hey y'all, and welcome back to Uplift Fit Nutrition Radio. I'm your host, Lacey Dunn, registered dietitian, here to spread the scientific knowledge in the worlds of fitness and nutrition. I'm so excited about today's episode, so make sure you listen in and get ready to learn. Hey y'all, welcome back to Uplift Fit Nutrition Radio. Today I have a guest, her name is Emily Kyle. She is a registered dietitian and she is just an incredible person and I'm so excited to have her on my podcast. You guys, we have some amazing topics we're going to talk about. But Emily, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. Can you tell my listeners a little bit about who you are, what made you pursue nutrition, and let's talk a little bit about what is holistic nutrition. Well, hello, everybody. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here and just share a little bit of my world with you all. Um, so I'm a registered dietitian nutritionist. I live in Rochester, New York. I have a private practice. And honestly, I got into nutrition because when I was a child, my little sister was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. And if you know anyone who has had a condition like that young in life, you know, it really impacts how you grow up and how you view the world. And so I'm really, really blessed that it led me down the path of becoming a registered dietitian. And then once I became a dietitian, learning that there were so many other options besides just working in a hospital or a nursing home in order to be able to help people. So I'm really, really thankful for that in working in my own private practice now. And I do identify as a holistic dietitian because I do talk about more than just food, specifically in nutrition, when I'm working with my clients. So I really believe that it takes a multifaceted approach, you know, talking about things like mental health, physical health, emotional health, and wrapping those all together in order to achieve that overall great health that we're all looking for. Oh, I absolutely love that. And you're so right. Oh my gosh. Some, pe- some people are so confused. They're like, oh, like when you're a dietitian, what can you do? Just work on the hospital? And it's like, no, there are so many things you can do. The, the end is limitless. You can go on and on and on and do so many amazing things. Yes, I couldn't agree more. And I always want to tell people that too, because for so long, I thought that was my only option. And I just am really, really thankful that I was able to pursue this path and be able to do something really quite unconventional that I really enjoy doing. Yeah, hands down, unconventional would be the keywords for what we're doing in life. It's amazing. We're living it up though. I love it. (laughs) Okay, so let's talk about autoimmune diets. What are the key differences in the various diets and what is important when choosing the right one? So, you know, there's multiple multiple different people that say, you know, do the S the SCD diet, do the AIP diet, go paleo. So, let's talk about the different diets and how to pick the right one for you. I think that's a really great thing to talk about because picking the right one, I feel like is the hardest step to begin with, right? Amen constantly bombarded with messages from Instagram and everywhere else about the latest and greatest diet. And what I really work with my clients on is finding the right diet for them. You know, the paleo diet is great for certain people. 
a vegan diet is great for certain people. And it really has to match your current lifestyle as well. I find a lot of people are trying to implement an elimination diet. Maybe it's the wrong stage of their life. Maybe it's the wrong approach. And that's why, you know, working with a dietitian or another healthcare practitioner can help you make sure that you're starting on the right path so you don't have to go back and do it again. Because as we all know, elimination diets are really difficult. They take a lot of preparation, a lot of dedication, and you want to make sure that you're starting on the right one first before having to try it again. Yes, exactly. Um, so let's dive a little bit into the different diets. So I guess I can start just giving a little bit of a background about the GAPS diet. Um, the GAPS diet essentially stands for gut and psychology syndrome. Um, and it was created by Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride. And essentially it goes through different stages to help in quote unquote healing. It's very restrictive. Um, and it basically avoids processed foods, refined oils, sugars, grains, gluten, um, and soy. Uh, I see some weird things about eggs in there as well. So that's basically the GAPS diet focus on psychology. Do you want to go into AIP? Yes. Yeah, so I am pretty familiar with AIP. I've touched on it a little bit in my first cookbook. And my second cookbook coming out is actually going to be released in August is the Hashimoto's AIP diet. So I'm pretty well versed on the AIP diet. And again, like the GAPS diet, it's extremely restrictive. Basically, the only thing you're left with is fruits, certain vegetables, and quality meat products. It removes dairy, gluten, grains, nightshades, nuts, seeds, eggs, pretty much everything. So it's one of the more restrictive that I've worked with. Mm -hmm. And with the AIP, what's also important is it's not all restrictive too, there is that introduction phase, reintroduction phase. Yep, yep. So you're going 30 to 60 days, super restrictive, and then one by one, adding them back in. And I think you'll agree with this, that the goal of most restrictive diets is to gain an unrestrictive diet in the end. It's The whole point is not to stay restricted for an extended period of time. Yeah, hands down. Amen to that. And that's actually something that we're not going to talk about FODMAPs in here, but, um, you know, people who are doing the low FODMAP diet, they forget that the whole point is to first remove, then reintroduce FODMAPs that you can tolerate yourself. So it's not about just following a low FODMAP diet to quote unquote cure your IBS or your SIBO for the rest of your life. It's reintroducing those foods. Absolutely. And especially when we're talking about quality of life, we can't really live on a very restrictive diet for too long. And we don't want to either. You know, that social aspect plays a huge role in health. And if you're living on a restrictive diet for a long time, can really start to impact your social life. So when I'm working with my clients, the goal is to get back as many foods as possible so that you have wide unlimited options when you're going and living your life. Exactly. Okay. So then we have the SCD diet, the specific carb carbohydrate diet, and essentially limits uh, specific carbohydrates, quote unquote, it's simple refined carbohydrates in order to help with digestion. So that one's just very simple, yes or no list, and it eliminates basically everything else that these other diets eliminate. So um, that includes things like sucrose, maltose, isomaltose, grains, potatoes, cheese, soy, stuff like that. And I think kind of the underlying theme with all of these diets is they're all pretty much removing the same things. It's just a little bit a little bit of a tweaked approach, right? But we're still eliminating mostly the same food groups in each one. 
Yes, exactly. And I think what can be confusing is everybody wants to specifically follow a name of a diet. They want to have something that they're like, oh yeah, I follow this. I follow X. And they want to have a label on them. And the truth is like with healing, with healing your gut, with healing your autoimmunity, you don't need a label. You just need to find out what's going to work for you. You're so right. And I always tell people like, this is your new Emily diet or this is your new Katie diet. I love that. So individualized because no two bodies are the same. So no two approaches are going to work the same either. Exactly. So in working with your clients, what is the first step for you in choosing the best diet for somebody? So of course, taking a big deep dive into their past history, thinking about things like current social status, socioeconomic status, any past history with eating disorders, and really making sure that the appropriate approach is taken. Um, some people require more hand-holding than others. Some people's mm-hmm. conditions are more difficult to manage than others. So really getting an accurate picture of where they're at in order to assess where we're going to move forward and which diet we're going to implement. I love that. And I am so thankful you mentioned socioeconomic status because that is a huge aspect, Um, demographics and how somebody can afford the foods that they eat. Um, If somebody has a little bit of food insecurity, you cannot expect them to follow such a restrictive diet. Absolutely. And I think that's a lot of, a big missing piece for a lot of people. And unfortunately, wellness should not just be limited to those who can afford it. And unfortunately, a lot of people who need it the most can't afford it. So working with people where they're at to match the appropriate level of um, handholding or programming is really key in making sure that you're not pressuring someone into something that they necessarily can't afford in the sake of good health. Yes, exactly. Okay. So let's go into MRT and leap testing. So I've only seen, I've seen it in a couple different places. I'm not well versed on it. So what is it and how can it help specifically in autoimmunity? And then why is it different than just IgG based testing? Yes. So MRT stands for mediator release test and it's a patented blood test that tests 170 different food and food chemicals. LEAP, which stands for Lifestyle Eating and Performance Therapy, is the dietary counseling that goes along with the results that come from the test in order to create that highly individualized program that's going to help reduce the inflammation and help manage symptoms of autoimmune conditions. So I got into LEAP because I had actually a personal health scare of my own. And after being sick for so long, I just kept saying like, If I could just figure it out, if I could just find that one thing that's bothering me. And unfortunately, with food sensitivities, it's really, it can be really difficult to determine what that single food is, especially if it's a food chemical that's causing the sensitivity. Um, Food sensitivity reactions can be delayed by hours or even days. So if you're having fish yesterday, but you have a headache in two days, could it have been the fish or was it something else you ate? Mm -hmm. also found that food sensitivities are dose related as well so some people can have a lot of something and have a reaction and some people cannot have a lot of something and not see a reaction so what I love most about this is that it's completely highly individualized because it's based on that blood test so we know exactly what foods you reactive to 
And basically what we do is we take the foods that you're not reactive to and create that safe diet plan. And it is very restrictive in the beginning depending on your test results. But over time we go through that reintroduction phase as well where after we heal the body and after we're feeling good and calm that immune response, putting foods back in so hopefully we have a greater variety in our diet overall by the time we're done. That reintroduction phase is super important, that's for sure. Oh, it's so important and it's very difficult, again, because food sensitivities can have that delayed reaction. So it's it's really a slow moving process, but it generally tends to garner the best results because you're working with foods that you know specifically impact you. Yeah, exactly. Now, do you notice any trends um, and certain conditions like Hashimoto's? Do you notice any specific foods that are generally um, kind of like inflammatory foods for people? Of course, there's the Hashimoto's diet we all know of. But are there any other foods that are not quote unquote common for the Hashimoto's diet that are common you find in the LEAP testing? So the only thing that I found a common trend, and of course, everyone's results are so, so different, but I've found quite the trend in issues with grains with individuals. Now, it's not always the same. And I know that we are generally recommending to avoid gluten indefinitely for Hashimoto's anyway, but I am finding clients who are having trouble with non-gluten grains as well, and specifically Hashimoto's. So I found that an interesting trend. Again, it's not the same for everybody, but it is very interesting to see. Yes, very much so. I've never used LEAP, MRT, but I do notice my Hashimoto's patients, my clients, they definitely, it's it's person by person dependent, but some people, gosh, if you give them just a little bit of grains, automatically they start feeling bad. They have that joint pain, muscle pain, brain fog, and then somebody else, you might give it to them and they're do, they do just fine, no issues whatsoever. So it, it's just crazy to see the individuality. I see the same thing too. I have a client right now who even if she gets just a tiny bit of cross-contamination can immediately sense that reaction the way that she feels. But that is one of the nice things about the LEAP testing is after that first initial two-week phase where you've really eliminated anything inflammatory, it's much easier to pick up on those sensitivities when you're reintroducing because you already know what it feels like to feel good. You know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's really hard too with anybody following a restrictive diet and eliminating grains or gluten in general is, you know, the detection, at least recently, there's been detection of actual gluten in quote unquote gluten-free products. Um, yeah. There's this this um, article that just came out and it said approximately one third of restaurant foods labeled gluten-free tested positive for gluten. And that's insane. If somebody's following um, a diet like this, trying to eliminate gluten, trying to limit grains, and they think they're doing that, and then they go out to eat with their friends or family, they think they're having a gluten-free food, um, and they're like, they have the, their symptoms come back up, and they're like, oh, what could it be this time? Like, w- is it this food that I ate at the restaurant? You know, it, it makes it so tough with the, con- the contamination. It really does, and I see it all the time, and unfortunately, I just don't know a good solution to that problem. Um, it really can mess people up a lot, but I just don't see restaurants caring any more than they already do. Do you no, know what I mean? To. They need to. Oh, they to. need to, but they won't. Yeah. Can't, yeah. won't. And I only say that because my husband's a restaurant owner and I know that the constant struggles they find with it. And obviously being on the other side of it, I'm like, you need to have this and that and everything else. And they're like, it's just not feasible. So unfortunately, um, it really can be a huge danger for people going out to eat. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, so in regards to the IgG best t- IgG only base testing, what are your opinions? So the leap sensitivity testing can test for more. So we test for food chemicals, which IgG does not. And then LEAP also tests different type of hypersensitivity reactions. So we do test for a type 3 and a type 4 hypersensitivity pathway. And that gives us a greater view and vantage point of what's actually going on in the body and just leads to more specific results. Okay, gotcha. I've been very interested into um, maybe diving into the LEAP and becoming a LEAP practitioner. So it's great to hear from you, um, everything about LEAP and that you enjoy doing it. Now, um, was the process for learning tough for you? No, I, because I found it interesting. Okay, it, yes, like, that changes You know things. how it is when you're into something and you're like, wow, this is so cool. It becomes very, very interesting. Um, so I enjoyed the process. I enjoyed learning it. And honestly, more than anything, I just enjoy the results that are coming out from my clients. I was not doing private practice up until the beginning of this year because I truly felt at one point when I was just offering you know, typical weight loss counseling that I wasn't getting the life-changing effects that I wanted in order to feel really worthy as a dietitian and helping people overcome their worst issues. It wasn't until I became a leap practitioner and, and offered this program and saw those life-changing results in my clients that I was like, I'm sold. This is it. This is what I'm doing for the rest mm-hmm. of my career. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Seeing the changes in people, seeing them start to thrive, feel good, be happy. It's the best feeling ever. It's, oh, oh it's my gosh. So- it's, it's truly rewarding. It's, you know, just to know that you're making a difference in someone else's life. And again, as I've been there before, and I know how desperate and horrible it can feel to feel like there's no hope and to feel like there is no solution to your problem. And when most people come to me, it's the end of the road. It's the last option. And to see transformations and to see healing at that stage is everything to me. I love that. Okay, so let's dive into this next exciting topic. So you guys don't know, but um, I it was like probably a month or two ago, um, I somehow found Emily and I ended up stalking her on her Instagram. And I was scrolling, scrolling, scrolling and I saw something and it said, I am not an anti-diet dietitian. Well, you guys won't hear the podcast yet. It'll be out after this, but... Um, I talk with one of my friends, Sassy, um, about anti-diet dietitians and the issues. Well, when I saw that, I clicked, I, I made sure, I was like, I'm going to go to this blog post because she wrote a blog post about it. And oh my gosh, I had my hands up. Amen. Hallelujah. I agree with you. So I'm very excited to talk about this. So let's chat why we are not anti-diet dietitians. Yay. I'm super excited to talk about <laughs> Yay. So when I first started my career as a dietitian, I've been a dietitian for about four years now. Um, and you know how when you're in college, and many of us become dietitians because of personal experience, right? So I dabbled with disordered eating and messed up body image. And so when I found intuitive eating right after college, it made sense for me in my life. I embraced it. I loved it. I was like, wow, this is great. Then, you know, fast forward a year later and I was hit with a chronic health condition and I was hospitalized and I was sick for three months. And it was that time where I realized the true impact that food has on our bodies and that being an anti-diet person or someone who doesn't need to be on a diet is actually a privilege. Um, It's a privilege not to be sick. 
it's a privilege to feel well. And I find that, you know, in terms of intuitive eating and anti-diet dietitians, we're often talking about things like thin privilege, but we also need to talk about things of health privilege because for those people who are facing chronic health conditions and who are extremely sick, telling them that going on a diet is wrong is probably one of the most harmful and difficult things that you can do for them at one of the worst stages of their life. Yes, I fully, fully agree. And I think the worst thing about this uh, anti-diet trend is making people feel ashamed and guilty for wanting to change their lifestyle, for wanting to lose weight. And nobody ever should feel ashamed or should made to feel feel guilty. It should be about what is going to be best for that person, what's going to make them healthy and happy. And seeing people be um, I guess derailed and mm-hmm. um, just kind of bullied if they choose to die. Yeah. Specifically in the registered dietitian world, I see dietitians um, in comments get bullied if they promote dieting oh, and absolutely. weight loss. And I'm like, that's ridiculous, yeah. ridiculous. I think it's crazy, and what I talk about in the blog and the blog post is that it has nothing to do with the approach of intuitive eating. I understand the principles. I think that they're wonderful principles that can really be woven in at a lot of different stages of working with clients. But we need to think about what stage the client is currently in. We can't just expect our clients and our patients to fit into our mold. It's our job as a healthcare practitioner to be the mold and to help them transform. But you have to meet them where they're at. And I found that sometimes the anti-diet messages are so harsh and are so out there that it truly turns people off and they're leaving dietitians to find another healthcare provider, whether or not it be a health coach or someone else who might just be a little bit more understanding and compassionate. Exactly. Um, I just, I'm going to read exactly from your blog because it was incredible. So you said, um, let's see. This is the quote unquote what she said in her blog. Nothing is more true than with the intuitive eating movement we are currently seeing in the dietitian community. Now, don't get me wrong. I totally understand, embrace, and love what intuitive eating stands for and does for the mental and emotional wellness of all. I spent nearly a year of my career immersed in all things intuitive eating, thinking it was a niche I could see myself settling into forever. And then I started to see something I didn't like, which was a rather strange community that preaches openness, acceptance, progressive thinking, and yet practices the opposite by adopting a black and white mentality of what is right and what is wrong and then telling others how wrong they are in fact for having another opinion this is what i am commonly seeing not just with the intuitive eating but with um, anti-diet with anybody having a a quote-unquote road one-way road approach for nutrition and i just think this is the worst thing that can happen in any field whether it be, you know, nutrition, physical fitness, finance, politics, whatever it is, there does not need to be a black and white. Everything needs to be open. Opinions allowed. This is freaking America. You know, it's just ridiculous that people feel that, you know, they have to derail and be mean to other people for their different opinions or what they choose to do in life. 
I agree. And I found that sometimes these different opinions are, are wrapped up in being said, well, this is my opinion. But I still think as healthcare professionals, we need to deliver our messages with a little less opinion and definitely a lot less meanness, condescending, judgmental tones. I really question, you know, some of the people who are putting these messages out there of what kind of clients uh, want to work with you if you I just feel that as a healthcare professional, one of my greatest assets is being compassionate and empathetic and understanding. And I feel like all healthcare professionals should have that. And if it seems to be missing, it just seems like a huge disconnect for me. Yeah, I agree. It's the best part of being a healthcare practitioner is being able to connect with people, really get to know them, see what their struggles are, what their strengths are, and being able to help them figure out what is going to be best for them and educating them. And you know, if you're you're giving a black and white approach, that's not really educating in my opinion. Not at all. It's it's pushing your opinion is what it is. And, you know, I always just tell people there are 7 billion people in this world. There are enough dietitians to go around. We all have a unique approach. Maybe some individuals need that black and white approach. But for others to know that there are healthcare providers like us out there who see more of the gray, who embrace more of the gray, and really try and meet you where you're at. Because not all healthcare providers only think a certain way. Exactly. Now, what are your thoughts on, you know, the, what do you tend to stick to? Do you like to stick to macros, still intuitive eating, meal plan based? What is your typical go-to? So my typical go-to is always leap testing um, in my practice. That's my main focus. And so what I do is I offer a free 45 minute consult to really make sure that the clients that I'm working with are going to benefit most from the test. I really want to make sure that I can provide the results that clients are looking for. And so making sure that we're both a right fit to work together in the first place is the best way for us to make sure that we're forming a meaningful partnership moving forward. Yeah, and that is so important, you guys. With choosing, whether it be a coach, a practitioner, a doctor, you have to feel comfortable with who you're working with. So that's very important, and I'm glad you do that. Um, Now, I did not put this in the outline, but I do want to ask you, because you do work a lot with cannabis and CBD, so what got you into that, and what is your favorite part about it? So I am excited. I'm officially out of the cannabis closet. Oh, Um, pretty, you know, ballsy blog post recently, and it was talking about my cannabis use for the past 10 years to manage anxiety and depression. And honestly, writing that again was one of the best things I've ever done because I've really been able to connect with people who also use cannabis to manage chronic health conditions. And because of my personal experience with cannabis, I wanted to become educated so I could help educate others. So I ended up going through the Holistic Cannabis Academy and trained, and I'm now a certified holistic cannabis practitioner so that I can incorporate cannabis education in with my current offerings in order to help get even better results for my clients. That's awesome. That's a huge leap, especially since some people are on the edge of like, you know, cannabis is good. Cannabis is bad. Right. And that's true. And we're in a very strange state, you know, with, with legalities and stigmas and things like that. But the bottom line is that people people greatly benefit from CBD, cannabis, various different application methods, routes, 
Um, and it's almost, it should be a crime to withhold that from people, especially I'm finding my individuals with autoimmune conditions, especially fibromyalgia, truly mm-hmm. see life changing benefits from cannabis. And someone educated needs to be talking about it, fears put aside in order to help get these people some relief. Yes. Um, and let's just make sure real fast that we tell people why it's important to go to a quality lab tested manufacturer. So CBD right now is the wild, wild West. It's proposed to be what, like a $60 billion industry by 2020, which means that everybody sees the potential to make money, right? Everyone wants to sell a CBD product, get in on the cannabis market, but there is no testing or regulations for any any product on the market right now. And that's, I mean, we've seen it in supplements too. It's a huge issue. So Mm -hmm. anybody could be putting anything into a bottle, calling it CBD and selling it. Do you know what's in there? No. The only way you really truly know what's in there is if there has been independent third-party lab testing to verify what is truly in there. Because Again, and I'm sure you continue to see these studies. I think Forbes just did another one. Out of all the products that they tested, only 9% of the products actually contained what they said were going to be containing. So they're either going to contain no CBD or they're going to contain other additive ingredients, things like melatonin, fillers, food dyes, sugars, things that don't promote health. So I mm-hmm. always encourage everyone to go in with a very skeptical eye with the company that you're going to be choosing and demand those third-party testing results. Exactly. I know when I was reached out to by a company and they're like, hey, will you promote our product? I was like, I need to see lab testing, multiple lab testing in order to know you have what you know you say you have. And then I need to personally try this first. Um, Absolutely. I have hypothyroidism. I did not personally see a benefit on my end. However, I had, I gave a bottle to my sister and she saw a good benefit for helping with her anxiety. Um, And then my mom tried it and she's, it it helped so much with her fibromyalgia. So I think it, it really does depend what's going on, but it's definitely an anti, it's definitely anti-inflammatory and has been proven to help with digestion, sleep, inflammation. Um, so I'm, I'm very thankful that there are people like you who are providing the good education about it, spreading the science, um, and helping people find the route that they need to take in order to start trying it. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. And I do consider it a big honor to be one of the first ones to help people through this and navigate this and hopefully find optimal health on the other side. Of course. Um, Now, what is your your perfect blend? Um, Do you prefer a little THC, no THC? Um, So my body functions very well on high amounts of THC, which most people find to be surprising, which it just goes to show you that not all cannabis users are alike, look alike, be alike. Um, So my preferred is uh, THC vape. That's my ideal go-to. But, um, you know, everybody is just so different. Some people cannot tolerate any THC at all. Mm -hmm. Some people notice very, very intense side effects, even on just CBD itself. So I always tell people, you know, CBD teaching is not necessarily right for everybody, but working with someone who can help you find what is right for you could be life changing. 
Amen to that. So it was just such a pleasure getting to chat with you. I wanted to thank you so much for taking your time to come on my podcast. Um, can you tell my listeners a little bit about where they can reach you if they want to work with you, where they can potentially buy your awesome cookbook, um, and then, you know, where they can follow you on social media? Well, you're just the best. Thank you so much for having me. It's really a joy to be able to connect with you and your audience and to be here. So thank you for your time. Um, I am most active on Instagram at Emily Kyle Nutrition. And then for cookbooks or services or cannabis education, you can head on over to emilykylenutrition.com. Awesome. Okay, you guys, I will make sure everything, all the links are in the description below. Thank you guys so much for listening. And Emily, I hope you have a fabulous rest of your Thursday. The same to you. Thank you so much. Thank you.